turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, uh, Matthew's Gospel chapter 13, and uh, we're going to be looking together at God's Word from verse 31 to 33 uh, in a few minutes. We'll read that portion together shortly. We come this morning to number 12 in our series in the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ, and hopefully because the parables are are so diverse in in illustration and teaching and application um, and teaching us so many different things about the kingdom of God that it hasn't actually felt like a three-month-long series uh, already and that we are looking forward each week to continue to learn something new from God's Word which we can apply to our lives. But we have had a break from the parables for the last three weeks or so, and so I thought it would be helpful just to briefly recap on the ground that we've covered so far. Um, we remember firstly, and it's right there in Matthew chapter 13, um, in, in verse 10 onwards, the, the reason for Jesus speaking in parables. And we saw that one of the reasons for Jesus' public ministry primarily being done through, through parables was in order to reveal uh, mis- new truths or things that were previously hidden spiritual mysteries, he reveals those to the people through these easy-to-understand earthly stories. And so uh, the parables are a a very vivid teaching aid to convey uh, once hidden truths to the people in a very clear and understandable way. And so we've all, I think, benefited from that as we've been looking at these parables. But we also considered that another reason why Jesus spoke in parables was to divide all his hearers into two groups. Those who would believe his teaching would be the ones who would gain much benefit from the parables. They would receive new revelation from God about his kingdom and about themselves and about the way of salvation. And and they would be the ones who would grow through the parables. And then there would be this other group who would not believe the words of Jesus. They would actually be further hardened uh, in their unbelief through the, the very same parables as they continued to reject the truth about God which Jesus was teaching. And so just as you pause there in terms of Jesus' primary purpose of teaching in parables, where are you? Can you look back over the last three months and see that you have grown spiritually, grown in your understanding of the Word of God, grown in your understanding of the kingdom of God and, and how to enter into it? Or perhaps you have to acknowledge that if you look back over the three months, there has been a continuing hardening in your own heart towards the things of God. Well, if you are the latter group, uh, it's God's grace that you are still here. Uh, You're still listening, perhaps still tuning in to the online service. And so I would just urge you to keep on praying that, that God would cause you to see and grow and understand the things that he is seeking to reveal. But as we look back quickly at the ground that we've covered over the last three months, we we started in the first group of parables, which were those that taught us how to enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, how to become a Christian, uh, how to become a member of God's kingdom, where he rules and reigns over all things. And so we started with the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils. We then moved on to that wonderful parable about the wedding feast, the wedding banquet, and all those who were invited We considered the two sons, the the rich fool, uh, the rich man and Lazarus, much to learn there, the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, and then those workers who went out in the vineyard to labor. And all of these spoke to us about how to enter into the kingdom of God. 
And then a few weeks ago, we moved on to a new section in the parables, which is really to see what Jesus had to say about how the kingdom of God grows. Uh, What does kingdom growth look like, and how does this growth take place uh, in the world and in us? And so far, we've looked at two parables, the the wheat and the the weeds, or the the wheat and the counterfeit, Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, Shane DeLange took us through that wonderfully encouraging portion on the seed growing. Um, that balance between uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in the growth of the kingdom. And so that's where we are so far. And we're going to spend two more weeks in this section on the growth of the kingdom before moving on to the next major section, which is living in God's kingdom. What did Jesus have to say to us about living in God's kingdom and then finally uh, finishing in God's kingdom? But today we're going to continue to think about this this topic of the growth of the kingdom of God. And, and I trust that today's parables will be a great encouragement to us this morning as we consider, as we look together at what Jesus has to say about how the kingdom of God grows, um, both externally in the world as we see the kingdom of God growing in number, but also how the kingdom of God grows internally in us as believers. So let's read together Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 31 to 33, and again, as always, I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open, read it for yourself, and then follow along uh, as we work through the passage. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So we're going to look at these two parables under two main headings today. Firstly, we're going to look at the kingdom of God in the world, and then secondly, the kingdom of God in the believer. And so let's start with with externally, the kingdom of God in the world, in verse 31 and 32. And what I want us to see is right off the bat is that the kingdom starts off small. The kingdom starts off small. We see in verse 32 where Jesus tells us that the seed of a mustard plant is very small. And this is significant not so much in that it's in its absolute smallness, but in the contrast to what this tiny seed becomes. Jesus here is is trying to use the the language of, of emphasis. He's trying to make the point that such a tiny seed, like a mustard seed, can produce a, a garden bush that becomes so large that in actual fact it becomes a tree in which the birds of the air can come and make their nests. I think the point is this, it starts off small. The kingdom of God has small beginnings, so small in fact that it could almost be considered insignificant. When Jesus began his earthly ministry and began to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, it started off with one man, one man, and then it grew to a group of 12 men, and we think, well, that's quite good multiplication, Uh, and yes, at times it seemed like there were these large crowds following Jesus, But by the time we come to the the crucifixion, Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was denied three times by his most loyal disciple. And we mustn't forget that the rest all abandoned him. So viewed through human eyes, the, the whole story seems to be hugely catastrophic. 
No military power, no political clout, just a small band of, of ordinary common fellows following a, a, a relatively ordinary-looking leader who then was put to death on a Roman cross. But Jesus knew that this was all coming. This was on the horizon. And so here in Matthew 13, he wants his disciples to understand that they should not become despondent as the days leading up to his crucifixion unfold because he is at work. He is building his kingdom in a way which they never expected, not as a great military power uh, that conquers nations by force, but as a small seed which is sown in the ground and slowly grows into something far greater than its small beginnings could have ever anticipated. And so there is great encouragement for us that we should never despise the day of small beginnings, nor should we become despondent in the seemingly slow growth of the kingdom of God here on earth. Perhaps it's the small beginnings of a friendship with a non-Christian neighbor or one of your kids, perhaps, in your class at school. Perhaps it's the small beginnings of a conversation with your unbelieving husband or wife or child. Perhaps it's the small beginnings of a few Christians getting together to pray. Perhaps it's the small beginnings of a new home group, home Bible study group, or a, a new Sunday school class, or, or a, a small Sunday service after lockdown. Perhaps it's the, the small beginnings of a vision to plant another church outside of the radius of our community here at Honeyridge. Throughout the history of the Bible, God has proven himself to be the God who achieves great things through small beginnings, through the insignificant and the small. And we see this going right back to, to Genesis chapter 12, when God chooses one man, Abraham, out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and he sets his covenant love upon that one man. And then, a bit later in Deuteronomy, we see this principle confirmed to God's people Israel through Moses in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6. Moses says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than all the other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest. You were the smallest of all the nations on the earth, says Moses. It's because God loves you and God is keeping the covenant that he swore to your fathers. Again, we see this principle reaffirmed in the New Testament. Listen to how Paul describes the church in Corinth. Listen to how Paul would describe us as the church at Honey Ridge in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were from noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul says in Romans 11 verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant, a, a small group of God's chosen people chosen by grace. And so yes, there are times when we can look back in, in history and we can see God acting in marvelous ways 
For example, the times of those great Christian revivals, like the Great Awakening in the 19th century, there, there are these seasons, but nevertheless, the general pattern of God's work in the world throughout history is that it starts off small. So we need to see that. The second thing that we see is that the kingdom growth is slow. Kingdom growth is slow. Again, the actual time that it takes for a mustard seed to turn into this mature tree is not really the issue. The issue here is that this process of growth from a tiny seed into a large tree is a slow one. Anyone who's tried to grow anything in your own garden knows that even the fastest growing trees, the process from seed to bearing fruit uh, may take many years. And this was another hidden truth. You see, the, the people of, of God, Israel, expected that the Messiah would come and bring about this, this radical uh, overthrowing of the Roman Empire and, and destroying them and, and reinstituting Israel as a sovereign nation. And Jesus wanted to reveal through this parable that the kingdom of God is going to grow slowly. It's going to grow like a seed becomes a tree. You can't rush it, you, you can't speed up the process, you can't artificially expedite things. No, it's this organic process which takes place as God himself does the growing. And we see that this was already evident in, in Jesus' own ministry. Despite the fact that at times there were many thousands flocking to hear him and, and see him do miracles, nevertheless, what we see throughout the Gospels is that genuine growth in spiritual maturity and in number of those who truly believed was very, very slow. That was even under the ministry of Jesus himself. And if we think about this, this should, again, be a great encouragement to us today as, as we consider the church of God in the world generally and as we think about us as the Honey Ridge Baptist Church. The growth of the church in general is a slow process. It's a process of small beginnings in which a small seed is slowly being transformed into a great tree. And I think this, again, should encourage our hearts this morning. We we live in a world in which we see things on the internet and television. This is the age of, of instant gratification. If you start something today, it must, be, it must be mature tomorrow. If you have an investment today, it must yield three times over uh, within a year. We've got all this stuff being thrown at us. We're in this age of social media, which unless you have 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 followers or likes, then you haven't really achieved success and particularly as we think of this post-COVID time, we are told that worldwide attendance in evangelical church services is about 70% of what it was pre-COVID. 30% of the church members are no longer attending. This parable of the mustard seed is a reminder that God is growing his church and he starts small and the growth may often be slow, but nevertheless, there is this progress, and one day we will see that God's work here in, in this corner of his kingdom, of his vineyard, is part of a, a much bigger picture, a bigger picture across Johannesburg, a bigger picture across our country and across the world, whereby all the nations of the earth are being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we also see from this parable that kingdom dominance is sure. 
Although the kingdom starts off small and its growth is usually slow, nevertheless, there is a certainty in this parable which gives us great hope and encouragement this morning. The work which Jesus began 2,000 years ago, which has continued to grow from those very small beginnings all over the face of the earth, despite, as we think about it, incredible attempts and efforts of, of powerful governments to totally eradicate the church, nevertheless, it has continued to grow and is steadily progressing across the centuries of history. This kingdom of God will continue to grow until the whole world is affected by its reach, by its branches, and men and women from every tribe and, and nation and tongue will come and will find their resting place in the Lord Jesus Christ, will come and bow down to Jesus Christ as Lord. Look at verse 32. Speaking of the mustard seed, it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You see what Jesus said? The kingdom started off small, the smallest of all kingdoms, but when it has grown, I love that, when it has grown, it is larger than all the others. And that is because this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom which lasts into eternity. All other kingdoms on this earth rise and they fall. They come and they go. But the kingdom of God spans not only every nation of the world. This kingdom of God not only spans every tribe and, and language group, not only every race and color, but it also spans every age. Those who died in Christ over the last 6,000 years, along with us who are in Christ today, and along with those who will still believe in the future, we are all part of this growing, universal, eternal kingdom. And it will never end. Kingdom of God will grow and grow and grow until every single person for whom Jesus Christ died on the cross has been brought in. And then the end of the world will come and the new heavens and the new earth will be revealed and this eternal spiritual kingdom of God will descend out of heaven like a bride, the, the Jerusalem, the, the new Jerusalem, and will be displayed for all who belong to it to see and enjoy for all eternity. What an incredible encouragement this is to us as Christians today as we consider Honey Ridge, as we consider the church uh, in the world today. See, the world around us mocks Christianity. The society in which we, we live in is trying more and more, even right now with new bills that are seeking to be passed in government, to ignore and suppress the beliefs of Christians. The influence of Christians in, in politics and, and in government and in big business and education, it seems so insignificant that we wonder how will we ever make an impact in this world for Christ. And that doesn't even take looking at ourselves into account. When we start to look at ourselves and we see our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our brokenness, our, our failings to do the things that we know Jesus has given us to do, and we, we might just be tempted to give up. Perhaps we are tempted to, to live as, as many Christians do with a, a kind of defeatist mentality that we must just kind of stick together as a, as a holy huddle, withdraw from society, and kind of just hibernate until Jesus comes again. 
This parable will not let us think like that. It tells us that despite the small beginnings, despite the slow progress of the kingdom at times, nevertheless, it is growing. It is growing. And other parables have reminded us that it is God who gives that growth. And it is growing into something magnificent. Is that your view of being a Christian today? Is that your view of belonging to the church? That we are growing into something magnificent, something dominant, something which will one day cover the whole earth and will provide the hope and the security for all eternity. Its dominance is guaranteed and we are called to to persevere, to press on in this work to which God has called us to. One of the sad realities of COVID is that many Christians seem to have thrown in the towel. Maybe not in terms of your your personal faith, but in terms at least of your active participation in the growth of the kingdom. Perhaps you've withdrawn from attending church, even though you regularly still visit the mall, restaurants, and other social gatherings. You've withdrawn from your small group meetings. You've withdrawn from serving in the ministries of the church. COVID kind of gave you the excuse and, and you no longer have this heart for the church and for the kingdom of God. Well, if that's you today, I want to, to know that the good news is that the kingdom of God will continue to grow. And God will raise up others in your place. That's the comfort for me. That's the comfort for us as elders, for those in the ministry of the church here. God will raise up others in your place. But the sad news is that you will be missing out on being part of this great work of God and building his eternal kingdom. God wants you to be blessed as you participate in the growth of his kingdom. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then the writer says, consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Can I urge you today, if you've grown weary and faint-hearted during this season of COVID, perhaps you were weary and faint-hearted long before COVID, can I ask you to take Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 seriously? Look to Jesus. Look at what he's doing in the world. Look at this kingdom growth that he's invited you to participate in. And do not let anything hinder you from growing weary or faint-hearted as you look to Jesus. So that then is the emphasis on the the first part of the parable about this mustard seed. The the kingdom of God, it, it starts off small, it grows slowly, but its universal dominance is guaranteed. What a great comfort. But then Jesus goes on to explain something else about the kingdom of God as it pertains to us more closely, more personally as individual believers. The mustard seed tells us about God's growth externally uh, in the world, and now the parable of the yeast speaks about this internal growth of the kingdom in the heart of the believer. 
And so we're going to look in the second place now at this internal growth. Let's look at verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so we see from this second parable that the kingdom beginnings are invisible. The kingdom beginnings are invisible. Jesus switches to a different analogy here, to that of baking, uh, and he introduces this concept of yeast, introducing yeast into a batch of dough. Now, the amazing thing about yeast is that yeast is an invisible agent. Yes, you might drop some white powder into a batch of dough, but it's not really that powder that distributes across the dough. It's the actual work of this active ingredient called yeast, which permeates its way through the dough. And so Jesus, again, is using a very clear, everyday picture to convey a very important spiritual truth. He says that just as a woman takes a small amount of yeast and hides it in a, in a huge batch of dough, so too the kingdom of God at work in the life of individuals starts off invisibly. And yet it has the power to transform the whole person. Again, we have a, a general principle here. Um, there are certainly times when it appears that God does this kind of dramatic work of salvation in a person's life where overnight it seems like they are totally transformed from who they were uh, to, to what they have become. And we, we praise God for those glimpses of His spiritual grace at work in conversion that are often the most visible and the most obvious. But that's not the norm for many people. But even if a person's conversion to Christ is very gradual or very sudden, this invisible working of the Holy Spirit is always the catalyst. It is always the agent of change. It is always the source of the spiritual life. And so this point is, again, cause for much personal encouragement for us today because it reminds us that we are, are not to become despondent when we don't see the yeast at work. You and I cannot see into the hearts of our family members or friends who do not know Christ. We, we cannot know whether God is at work or not because His work is invisible to begin with. It's hidden from our eyes and often it's even hidden from their own eyes. They may think that they are firmly set in their ways, firmly set in their defiance against God. They care nothing for Him. They want to know nothing about Jesus on the cross. And yet the Holy Spirit is at work as He was in that thief on the cross, initially hardened, defiant, and then suddenly this life comes to fruition as the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is the one who softens the soil of our hearts. He's the one who prepares the ground to be ready to receive the good seed. And there will come a day when by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit's power, that seed will germinate and bring forth life. And it's usually only on that day of germination that you and I are able to see the evidence of God at work in our lives or in someone else's life. But until then, we need to keep on praying we need to keep on sowing the seed of the word as Shane encouraged us a couple weeks ago. We need to keep the doors of, of the friendships open with unbelievers so that we can sow the seed of the word into their lives. And even when we can't see any visible response to the gospel, we must never give up praying, we must never give up hope, 
that this invisible work of God in the believer is what will bring about transformation. And so finally from this parable, then we also see that this kingdom effect in, in the heart of an, of an individual is invincible. We are told by the commentators that the amount of dough in verse 33, three measures, represents a large enough batch of dough uh, to bake bread to feed about 100 people. I don't know how much bread you need for 100 people, but that's a lot of dough. And the woman hides a small amount of yeast in the dough, and given time, that yeast works its way through the entire lump. And this aspect, again, of the parable is such an encouragement for you and I as Christians as we walk on this daily life of of Christianity because it tells us that the effects of the kingdom of God in our lives are ultimately invincible. The effects of the Holy Spirit taking control of your heart will ultimately affect all of your lives. Every area, every corner of your life will be influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that temper that keeps rearing its ugly head, or those impure thoughts, or those sinful passions and desires, or that unforgiving spirit, that that bitterness towards a, a friend or family member, that inability to love your spouse unconditionally, your impatience with your children, whatever it may be of your old sinful nature which continues to kind of lurk in the background and and pull you down as a Christian. This parable teaches us that in time, the influence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the gospel in our lives will affect everything. God's word promises that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Our God is not in the business of doing a half job. Once the Holy Spirit has started a work in you, he will bring that to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this lifelong process of sanctification will begin, this process of becoming more like Jesus. And it will not stop until all of you is transformed by the gospel. I once met a man who had been a Christian for many years, and within a short time of getting to know him, he exhibited a rude and a brash attitude in the context of the local church where I was involved. And immediately he responded to me and said, ach, you'll get to know me, I can be difficult because I'm German. I almost responded that he was rude because he was a sinner, not a German, but the Lord helped me to hold my tongue in that moment. But what a sad and deficient view of the power of the gospel. Think about it. God was able to take that man who was spiritually dead and he was able to breathe new life into him. God was able to take that man who was a slave to Satan and set him free in Christ. But oh shame, God was not able to overcome his rudeness because he was German. No, our God is not a God of half jobs His kingdom work in our lives is invincible. It's invincible in conversion and it's invincible in sanctification. And so the call of God through the New Testament is to put to death the deeds of the old man by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us so that we will be transformed through the renewing of our minds into the people of God that exhibit the fruit of the Spirit 
all the fruit of the Spirit in all of our lives. So as I conclude this morning, I have one more question that came to my mind as I was preparing all of this. How do we know that this is all true? What is the guarantee that, that what Jesus spoke about here of the external kingdom of God growing and the internal kingdom of God growing, how do we know that this is going to happen? And here's where I need to take you back just two weekends to Easter Sunday to consider again the significance of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Now you might wonder, what has that got to do with anything? Well, leading up to that first Easter weekend, with the betrayal and the trial and the crucifixion, Jesus spoke to his disciples to prepare them for what was going to happen that first Easter weekend. And he, he said this to them in John 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What Jesus was explaining to his disciples is that he was going to die but not in the way that they understood death, not a death which ended this life in defeat, but a death which would unleash the power of God to bring about salvation to all who believe. Jesus uses the exact same word in John 12 as he does in our parable. He says that unless a seed, referring to himself as the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15, as the seed of Abraham, Genesis 12, as the seed of, of King David, unless Jesus Christ as the promised seed would die, there could not be a harvest of much fruit. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Day, every Sunday, Resurrection Day, we see and we remember the, the fruit of a risen life. The fact that you are here today with a, a hunger and a thirst, I hope, for God is the fruit of Christ's risen life, the fruit of, of Jesus conquering the grave, the, the fruit of the forgiveness of sins, the fruit of salvation, the, the fruit of transformation. As you look back over your life and you can see this invincible working of the Holy Spirit in your life, and the fruit of everlasting life to come to all who believe. See, the death of Jesus, as we were reminded a few weeks ago, was not the end. Yes, that was the culmination of everything he came to achieve. But after his death had achieved all that God had purposed, it was his resurrection that gave the power to us to now live in the power and in the fruit of his resurrection, of all that he came to do. He rose triumphant from the grave to reign and to rule over all things. And so it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the proof, it's the evidence, it's the guarantee that all the promises Jesus made in these two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, will be fulfilled. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also came resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Jesus, risen from the dead, is the first fruit. His resurrection from the dead is the deposit. And then the scriptures go even further to say, not only was Jesus' resurrection the, the deposit, the guarantee, but we receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit and a guarantee. All that he came to do will be accomplished. 
All who come to Christ will be preserved to the end. We will be sanctified until we are perfected in Christ at his return. The church will continue to grow. It will grow to, to universal dominance at his second coming. This is the promise that Jesus himself gave us and his rising from the dead is the proof and the guarantee. So I hope that we will all take encouragement today to persevere in our own private individual walk with the Lord, that we will not get bogged down in the despair of our weakness and our failures because Jesus Christ has risen to reign. He's at work in this church. He's at work in each of our lives and he will bring all things to completion in his perfect timing. The question is, are you in or are you out? Are you part of this kingdom work that Jesus is doing, or are you further being hardened to these wonderful promises that Jesus has presented to us in his word? Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Again, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for for your word, we want to thank you just for here two or three verses that are so fully loaded with, with such immense truth, spiritual truth that has the power to, to change us entirely, change us individually and change us as a church for the purpose for which you have called us to yourself. Lord, we are asked for forgiveness this morning for so often allowing our own sinfulness, the, the, the doubts of the, the evil one, his, his arrows and darts that he shoots at us to, to cripple us, for taking our eyes off the promises of what you have accomplished through your death and resurrection, what you have promised to do in us as your church. Lord, as we come out of the season of lockdown and, and restrictions, and as we look forward to these continuing to be lifted in the weeks and months ahead, we pray that as a church we would be more greatly energized to be the people that you have called us to be. That individually, where we've perhaps entertained over the past year a, a relaxed attitude to the things of God, where we've perhaps backslidden, fallen away from you, won't you bring us back, we pray. Where we as a church have perhaps been ineffective in the ministries that you've given to us and as we, we long to, to get them going again and, and to re-engage with our community with the good news of Jesus Christ, won't you stir up a desire within us as your people, not only to belong and to be part of this, but to truly believe in the promises that you have given us in your word, that you will complete the good work that you have begun in us individually and as a church. Help us to cast aside all those things which hinder us today, we pray. Draw us back to yourself. Make us a, an effective and fruitful church as we seek to do that which you've given us by the power of the risen Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given to each one of us. May we be faithful in serving you, for we pray this in Jesus' name.